This episode is sponsored by Oribi. Hey guys, I've got a quick question for you. How many of you are tired of using Google Analytics? I bet quite a few of you are raising your hands right now. Understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is hard. With Google Analytics, you not only have to get your developers involved with coding events, but you also have to struggle through endless piles of data just to figure out what's causing your leads to drop out. Seriously, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, you'll be excited to hear that there's now a better way to analyze your website and get actionable insights. Meet Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. Finally, you'll be able to understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more. No more blind spots. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash district or use the coupon code district and get a free 14-day trial today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about bootstrapping Lemlist from zero to $10 million in ARR. If you don't know Lemlist, it's a personalized sales automation SaaS. Today, we have our guest, Guillaume Mubesh, joining us. Guillaume, or G, is an entrepreneur, co-founder, and CEO at Lemlist, one of the coolest sales automation platforms on the market right now. G and his team bootstrapped in the past the Lempire, which is Lemlist and Lempod, and he exited Lempod to focus on Lemlist. So welcome, G. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Thanks a lot for having me, Akil. I'm really excited to be here. So I want, I want to dive right into it, uh, get into the nitty gritty about you know sales, automation, outbound, email marketing. Um, specifically, you know what would you say? Uh, you know we have a lot of SaaS founders, SaaS marketers listening in. What would you say are some of the most effective ways? to get the attention, reach customers directly. I mean, that's the whole point of this. And uh, I guess the uh, metric there would be getting higher response rate or positive response rate from your, your campaigns. Yeah, so w- what I see like uh, from our users and the common mistakes that people do is, especially founders, as founder, you know, you built a great SaaS, you're proud of it, and then come sales. So you're so proud of what you build that you feel like everyone's going to need it, that they're going to love it. And I see people just writing their huge pitch emails that is just talking about them and that no, never gets any replies just because it doesn't work like this. Sales is all about building relationships. It's all about trust. And to do so, you need to understand how to bring value. And to me, what has been working like uh, the best when it comes to sales is to do like uh, two different types of approach. One approach that can be really done by founders easily and the other one that is more for like uh, your sales team. The one that I like as a founder, especially when you start, is to do like the interview type of approach. So the idea, for example, let's say say that uh, you are targeting like a head of marketing of SaaS businesses is to say like, okay, like you're going to reach out to them and say, Hey, first name, uh, I was checking your profile, love... uh, the marketing campaign you launched recently about XYZ. So having this intro line that shows that you actually spend some time looking at the person's profile. And then you can say, I was actually discussing with marketers one and marketers two because I'm writing an article about specific pain and I'd love to get your input on it. I'm only interviewing top experts and getting like uh, 20 minutes of your time to learn how you're solving X would be super dope. 
On top of it, I can also explain all the things that I've learned discussing with uh, top marketers one, top marketers two, top marketers three. And the idea by doing that is first, you're asking people for their time, but in exchange, they directly see what they're going to get because they know that they've been interviewing. So you're putting them on a pedestal and everyone loves to be on a pedestal. So you're already looking as a kind type of person. On top of it, your intro line is personalized, which means that you hooked the attention of the person by showcasing that you're different from 99% of people who just blast their emails. And the idea is during that call, you're going to start to learn about what the person is doing at their company. So you can picture that call a bit as a discovery call, meaning that you understand, okay, what are they doing? What are they not doing? What are they struggling with? How exactly did they solve a specific problem that you're writing about? And from there, if you see that your service, your software, or whatever you're selling can help them, this is a time where you can say, okay, well, you know what? I'm writing this amazing content. It's going to be dope. I'm super happy like to have you like uh, on the article. Just so you know, my business is doing XYZ. If that's something of interest to solve your pain, just let me know and I'll set up a call with someone from my team. In any case, the article will be published in X weeks and it was dope talking to you. Have a great day. And the idea here is not to be pushy, just to explain like what you're doing quickly at the end of the call. At the same time, because you're a founder, you will be like learning a lot about an industry. Being able to write an article will allow you to create content at the same time and then also build relationships at the same time. So that's like the first approach that as an early stage founder, I would highly recommend because it's an easy way to get in touch with anyone, get them on a phone, really understand their pain and how they're solving it and see whether or not your solution is a good fit. And if not, it's still a great way to network and build your, uh, your really like global network and try to get afterwards like referrals and, uh, and connections. So that's like the, the first approach that I would recommend. Second approach is more the consultative type of approach where the idea is instead of let's say talking about an article or a podcast or something that you, that you're launching, you're going to be positioning yourself as a thought leader. And in, in the idea is more or less the same. It would be saying like, Hey, I was chatting with, I don't know, like head of growth one at company, like famous one and head of growth two at another famous company. We chatted about this specific issue and I'm doing a lot of networking calls to basically see what are the best practices in the industry. Would you be open for like a 15 minute chat where we can exchange like our best practices? And the idea is to do more or less the same approach, but this time, because you're a sales rep, it's more about the networking. So you're going to build relationships, try to bring in all your knowledge, because if you're a sales, you're an expert in a specific field, or at least you should be an expert in whatever you're selling. And the idea of this consultative approach is to bring a lot of value, position yourself also as a connector by mentioning some key names of the industry. At first, you know, it's, uh, at first you can kind of like fake it until you make it. Let's, let's say so you try to, to find like really relevant person. You try to see, um, and, and again, you know, you can say like, uh, I've learned a lot from, and then you mention the person. If that person is famous, it can imply that you had a chat with them, but you can learn from someone by also reading their articles, listening to their podcast, etc. So you have always ways, you know, to, to frame it in a way that people can think that basically you had a chat with a person while well, actually you did not. And, and to me, this is also like working really, really well 
And to, if you want to really boost your reply rate whenever you're doing this, something that I've found that works really well is to combine this with content that you would post on LinkedIn. So the idea is on every person you want to reach out to, you're going to add them on LinkedIn first. Then for three weeks, you don't send them a message. Because what 99% of people do is as soon as you accept their connection request, you have an automated message saying, Hey, by the way, I'd love to show you my product. And boom, annoying, spammy. You don't want that. So you wait for three weeks because within the three weeks, if you post on a regular basis, chances are that the person who just accepted your connection request will actually see your post. And as your goal is to position yourself as a thought leader, you need to post on a regular basis about a specific topic. So giving you like very specific example from our team, at first I wanted like our, we, we started building a tool which was only for cold email and then we'll evolve towards sales automation. So I, at first I was focusing on cold emails and my posts on LinkedIn were just cold email tips or cold email mistakes. So every day or every two days, I would post something about these cold email tips, etc. And step by step, all the person that I would add would see my post for about three weeks. And then after that, I would reach out to them via cold email or via LinkedIn. And then I would see like my reply rate increase by three or four sometimes on, uh, on some specific campaigns. So mm -hmm. after I realized that, that's when we actually decided to kind of like build our product towards multi-channel to allow people to do the same thing and kind of like mix both email and LinkedIn to maximize uh, the chances of replies. And if you can link it, you know, to posting like really good posts based on the, on your target audience. So right now, for example, my role in the company is to write content, but for founders. So I talk about our journey. I talk about all the things we did. I talk about the mistakes we made, et cetera, et cetera. While our sales team, their goal is to position themselves as soap leader in sales. So they only write about sales. They only network with salespeople, et cetera, et cetera. Our marketing do the same, et cetera, et cetera. And they all build um, a strong personal brand across the company, which would down the line reflect on the overall company. So it sounds like it's all about, you know, building those relationships, building your, your expertise and trying to connect with people on a common, uh, you know, knowledge or experience or, or something in the industry where you guys are in the same position. Uh, and I see, you know, your, your pitch, I think, you know, was kind of a pitch when you guys reached out to, you know, be on a podcast. Uh, you know, even if you use automation or not, I think it was it was good. I could you know kind of tell you did your homework. You know, you made it nice and personalized, and, and you know we we're here today, so it definitely works. Um, it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> um, but you know, I've been following your you know journey years ago. I think when you did launch, I remember I did you know come across Lemless, so I was familiar with your work, and I was curious to chat with you. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I like that that concept of you waiting three weeks, right? Because that's you know we've worked with agencies in the past who who do you know LinkedIn outreach, and it's it's you know you know it's all a numbers game, right? And I see that's kind of I think that has to evolve. Over time, that people are just getting annoyed with that, and maybe it does work. I mean, you know, you'll get a small percentage of people who are willing to, you know, work with that that that, that you know same message across everybody, and you know, quick, uh, you know, replies and, and making decisions right away. But um, I think if you're playing the long term, I think it seems like you're going to get better results, right? And maybe you can speak a little bit of how that's changed over over time. And uh, yeah, maybe, I, yeah, I think you you're making a really good point here because back in the days, no one knew about automation, so it was like. Having a first name, you know, sometimes like for my parents, it's like, how do they know my name? You know, it's like they, they mm -hmm. think that there is someone behind their computer writing the first name. But as time goes by, like everyone started to know about this and automation kind of went in the way of building relationships. And people felt that it was so much easier to just blast and fully automate 
that they don't really like spend the time or enough time to actually like do this personalization. And what I've realized is that within our users, because we have like tens of thousands of users worldwide, we see that the more people personalize, the higher the reply rate is. So the more time you spend. So for me, it's like something needs to be automated. So for example, a follow-up, it's normal that it's automated because we all get busy. It's nice that if you don't get a reply, you can send a few follow-up email just to make sure that the person receives it. But then the first line, the approach, etc., you need to do your research. Because the truth is by doing that, first, you're going to maximize your reply rate. But once you get on a call with a person, the person would know that actually you cared about them. Mm. So you start your relationship from a whole different new level. And by having these things where the person knows that you spend time researching on them, etc., even if it's not a fit, at least people know that you cared and you are someone that is likable, which means that even if we have a chat and I see that you're not a fit for the product or whatever, I, if we fit on well and we get on well, I'd be happy to recommend, uh, your service to my friends. And you're probably happy to recommend our service to people who need it as well. And this is what's all business about. You know, it's about all these relationships, all the network effect that you can create. And mm. as you mentioned, if you're building in the long term, it's also like, uh, worked really, really well. Yeah, 100%. I know when I look at my email, if I'm getting those automated messages, I'm, I'm not paying attention to them because I can tell it's not relevant to me. But if somebody said, you know, let, let's say, for example, hey, uh, you know, can we do some link building services for, for your website? If you're like, hey, I saw you post a guest post on this article, you, 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 you know, re- went on a podcast here and hey, I've got these three or four that are relevant to you and this is at a cost. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'll, let's chat. I think this is more relevant versus saying, hey, I'll put you on all these other places. I'm like, I, I don't care about those, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you want to connect with founders, founders listening in, you know, Lemlist, you guys are now past over 10 million in ARR, which I think in less than four years, which is, you know, super impressive, fully bootstrap. Um, I want to dive, I want to hear, let's get into it. What are the growth channels that work for you guys? Share the nitty gritty. Um, you know, I know like you built a community, Facebook community of over 17,000 members. Um, yeah. How has that helped you in that way? Because I want to know, you know, if a SaaS founder is looking at maybe thinking of using a community as a channel of growth today, how, how did that help you guys? And where, where or when did you make that decision to start that? Yeah. So at first, so we started the company with uh, $1,000. So it was just uh, me and my two co-founders. They were handling like the tech side and I was handling the business side. So very quickly, I think the, the first channel was eating our own dog food. So I used our software to do a lot of sales prospecting. Every time I was running something, I would document it, write content when I had a chat with existing like or potential prospect to understand what were the struggle. If they were not a fit, I would reach out with the content so they see that I actually care no matter what their decision was. And by doing this, all, like all these things, I started to a really like strong network of people who thought, okay, this guy, even though I'm not using his tool, what he's writing is super helpful to me because I'm using a competitor now. And my goal was really, okay, I know that in a couple of years, they will switch to us. And even mm-hmm. if they have to wait three or four or five years, I'll still be there still grinding and still trying to provide as much value. So because we started to get this initial traction and I was the only one doing customer support, at some point I felt like, okay, I I wasn't the type of guy who would say, let's start a community. It's going to bring us ton revenue. I was more the guy that I'm receiving too many messages on support. Let's go on Facebook to answer all of this. So people, so I don't have to repeat the same text. It was more about for me, a time optimization strategy at first. But then after a bit, I realized that it was just amazing because 
I could also share the content that I had built directly in the community. Uh, that it was for me like a real audience. So every time I was posting a feature update or something, it was a great way to communicate with our users, but in a more informal and friendly way because it was on Facebook. And then step by step, you know, like after posting and sharing, you know, my campaign. So every single week I would launch a new campaign and I would detail, okay, here's the email that I've used. Here are my results. And hear why it's working or you hear why it's not really working. <laughs> and, uh, and step by step by sharing this for about like six months, I started to see more and more people answering questions, helping each other out, sharing things that you would have never seen like elsewhere, just because I had created this safe place where people could actually really be transparent. And I felt like by us being super, super transparent, because you have to, you have to remember that back in the days, um, Everyone, you know, who create a sales campaign would not like to share it publicly because people would say like, Oh no, it's my secret sauce. I have these specific templates. I don't want to share. We're doing things that no one else is doing on earth, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is by me doing it for six months, once we decided to launch what I call Lemlister of the week, which is each week we take one of our users and we showcase their campaign with what they've written, their results and why they did a great job. By doing this, we started to have like this kind of sense of community, people who were succeeding, people who were, were driving the community because they were becoming experts. And it was just an amazing way for more word of mouth. So people talking like, you want to learn about sales and sales automation and cold email? Just join the Lemlis family. It's the best place for that. And step by step, you know, it kept growing. We invited also all our users to join. Some of them joined, some of them didn't join. But the truth is like this community is kind of the heart of our user base and fan that are just, you know, like, uh, helping each other out, trying to be more successful in a really like friendly and, uh, and I would say like, uh, thoughtful manner. Yeah. I'm assuming they also become a lot more loyal now as well. Right. And spreading the word and, and, you know, stick to your product and regardless if it's good or bad, they're going to provide feedback and real feedback that, that helps them. Um, and you mentioned, you know, creating content based off interviews, based on your own experience of using the tool, what worked and what, what didn't work. Um, was this all written? Like, were you doing all blog and you know, publishing this on your blog and then sharing it with your network and, and the community? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, uh, I was doing it like, uh, writing on the blog. I would do it, you know, like, uh, directly sharing it either in the community or on our newsletter weekly. And step by step, you know, it created this uh, sense of no bullshit because I wasn't writing for SEO purposes. So my articles were written in a very like a uh, different way, I would say, just like pure results, very sharp, actionable. And, uh, and step by step, you know, like people started to share it again, you know, like uh, we would see that our article would not rank, but be shared like a lot, which mm. for us was great and was a huge uh, booster to drive like word of mouth. And, um, another thing about the community that, that's also interesting for SaaS businesses is that we leverage our community to really get the best feedback on the product itself. So we had like this feedback loop that we could get directly from the community. And we actually leverage our community to build something proprietary and unique. So um, essentially, like, um, whenever you're doing cold email, what matters the most is the deliverability meaning whether or not your emails end up in the inbox rather than in spam. And mm -hmm. to do so, there is something called the warm-up. When, when you buy like a new domain, your domain has a certain reputation and you can't send hundreds of emails, otherwise you're going to get blacklisted. Or if some people from your team do spam, 
you're going to get blacklisted. And for many, many reasons, you can get blacklisted. And the idea is for us, because we have this huge community and we are in more than 85 countries all over the world, we had a wide range of domains uh, because we have companies like Dendesk, SAP, up to very small businesses. We're like, okay, all these domains have different ages, different, um, I would say, like uh, domain authority. And from there, we can actually, thanks to our community, automatically send messages to each other. So whenever someone is sending a message and we see that it ends up in spam, we mark it as not spam, put it on top of the inbox, mm -hmm. put it as important. So every of our users actually gets its deliverability boosted. And That's for right. us, we can really test like the, the different algorithm. We can test like uh, what domains perform the best after which time, et cetera, et cetera. And we gathered so much data thanks to the community because again, it came directly from the community from having people were saying like, Hey guys, let's put our email in a Google sheet so we can send emails manually to each other, etc." And I was like, no, no, it's, it can't be possible. Like we're going <laughs> to do that for them. And it's, it's going to be like 10 times better. And after that, you know, we kind of like creating this new thing, which very quickly became like, uh, something that now has like a lot of copycat, etc. But we were the first to actually do that from the community, which to be honest is, uh, is also a huge competitive advantage down the line. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, just just like you know, going into community. Hey, get my domain, you know, for free. Hey, get my domain to be super powerful. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, so you did some some you know your own you know direct outreach. That's kind of got you your first clientele. Use that to then drive build the community on on LinkedIn and then also on Facebook. Um, what else have you done? I know I remember when you guys first ran your first AppSumo campaign, right? I think that was years yeah. ago. Would you say that was an effective channel for you? And what was been kind of, you know, your feedback and maybe recommendation for other SaaS founders if they want to also explore using that? And where, where, also, where, where were you? Like, at what state, like, how big were you at that point when you did that? Yeah. So when we did AppSumo, we were not making revenue. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the price was on the website, but we didn't have any like paid customers. So I think at that time it was great just because it was like uh, very early of the software and we could get people to give us feedback. In terms of revenue, we generated, uh, um, I think it was $160,000 in, uh, in two weeks, which is great. But AppSumo took 70% of it, <laughs> which is not as great. But I mean, they have the community and everything. So for us, it was, uh, it was very normal. Um, so we got 50K in our pockets. Uh, but to be honest, it was not really for the money. It was more for the feedback from users, just to get like more people to, to use it, uh, find bugs, do all these type of things. And because we were so early, it was really helpful. But the only issue I have with that is that over time, those person are really like some, like some of them are just amazing and they understand that the product is evolving, etc. And others just have the feeling that every time we're doing something new, they should get access to it. Uh, mm. So even if it's not part of the plan that they usually purchase, etc., and they, they, they always think that we're trying to screw them over, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is, to be honest, a bit annoying because we've done so much for this community that over time having like uh, people complaining or doing these things when you actually uh, give them 100% can be a bit uh, painful. So it's just something to to keep in mind that over time, especially if you're uh, growing really, really quickly and you would have a lot of a few vocal uh, customers that are going to be annoying. But mm -hmm. apart from that, it was also like a, 
a good channel to get like this, uh, this in initial traction, I would say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's been like, uh, it's been great, at least for the product development. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, that's in every business, right? You're always going to get the wrong people coming in. And I mean, those are the people that who probably wouldn't pay today anyway. So not be your exactly. ideal user, but exactly. <laughs> you have to live with it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, what else has, uh, was worked for you guys? So share me some, you know, interesting things that, that worked on the growth side. Maybe you can share some, you know, what you would focus on today. If, uh, you know, somebody listening in, um, you know, one or two channels, I say, okay, this is really good. I invest all my money in, or where you're investing all your you know, marketing efforts into today. So we, we haven't done any ads, which is something that, uh, we'll probably do like in the, in the months to come. Mm -hmm. Um, but on top of it, like, uh, what worked really well was, uh, just LinkedIn in general. So combining content on LinkedIn and outreach was just like super, super helpful. And, uh, I think that any founder or anyone actually should write posts on LinkedIn because whenever you're writing, the good thing is that you take complex thoughts and you put them down which allows you to make them a bit more simple and easy for you to use. And I feel like the the better you get at copywriting, the more impact you can have in pretty much any field, whether it's marketing, sales, or even as a founder. And, and to me, doing that from day one and building in public and doing all these things are extremely important because first, it's important to show that you're failing like everyone else. Mm -hmm. That you fail, but you fail a lot. And that's why sometimes you succeed and you succeed hard. But it's super important because you want to create that connection with people where you can actually make them understand that as a founder, you're going to make mistakes, that you're going to do things sometimes that don't make sense, but that work. And it's really, really important to create that connection with people because down the line, your connections and your relationships are the easiest way to differentiate yourself, to differentiate, to differentiate yourself. That was a hard one <laughs> from any competitors. You know, I always take, you know, like this, uh, this example of, uh, of restaurants. Um, next to my place, there is like, uh, two restaurants, one that is really like amazing. It's really, really good. But when you enter the restaurant, the boss over there is just like, the worst person ever. He yells at the waiters. Uh, he's always like pissed off. He talks to you like, like you were shit, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and on the other hand, there is another restaurant where the food is good. It's just next door. And the guy, you go there once and then you're going to come back. He's like, Hey, G, what's up? Uh, all good. Like, how is life? He remembers your name. He remembers who you are. And to be honest, I prefer a hundred times the restaurant where I feel at home. I feel good, et cetera. And the truth is, Whenever you're, bu you're building like a, a digital tool, like whether it's a software or your agency or anything, you feel like because you're focused on scalability, on doing all these things, et cetera, you feel like service is something you should avoid at all costs. Being kind is no, no, it's self-service at all costs, et cetera. But the truth is like doing this li little simple thing that no one else is doing is a huge differentiator. Mm. And people by just having a chat with you or someone from your team, can just become straight away lifelong users and super fun. And this is something for us that we really heavily invested in and that has worked also really well. And that also makes, you know, the journey 10 times more enjoyable because you always meet like cool people and overall it's, uh, it's quite nice. 
Yeah, I've heard that quite a bit from different SaaS founders now. Who've just like, okay, we're really focusing, putting a lot of investment and energy and focus just on customer service. And you know, this is it's not product, it's not marketing, it's customer service. And it sounds like, what? This is SaaS. What are you talking about? This is 2021. We don't talk, but it still works. And I mean, that's going to differentiate you, as simple as it sounds. But um, okay, so you, you know, you guys are using you know sales process, you know, personalization, automation, you know, for yourself as well, still generating leads, sales and calls, demos, etc. What do you think about SaaS founders or uh, you know maybe buying email lists to start their you know first campaign or maybe what are some best places to source building a quality list right because you you need that if you don't have anything from the beginning I think like the best way is to go on LinkedIn because it's the it's the best worldwide updated databases of uh, of quality because the truth is like right now people are changing jobs much faster than they used to in the past so back in the days while it makes sense to buy lists because people would have created it, now it's almost impossible for people to keep this list up to date. Whereas LinkedIn is up to date because people usually change jobs and put it on LinkedIn when they do. So my advice would just to, you know, like spend time on LinkedIn, spend time, you know, like searching for the right people, maybe like getting a sales navigator account to have like a, a much more like a precise filtering options. And then from there, uh, once you're on LinkedIn, it's easy to find like the emails of people with any tools like Drop Contact, Hunter, or Lucia, whatever. And from there, then you can start reaching out to people and uh, and putting them in a, in a sequence. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Contentfy.co, a premium podcast editing and repurposing agency for busy content creators just like you. Are you spending too much time editing your podcast and end up with no time to stay on top of also publishing, sharing, reaching new listeners, while also staying ahead of the latest podcasting trends? Don't worry, Contentfy has you covered. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing and repurposing anymore. Just record your content and they handle the rest. Contentfy is an end-to-end podcast editing and repurposing agency to help you grow your podcast by editing and repurposing quickly, easily, and reliably to share all over your social networks. And if you haven't even noticed, I also use them for the SaaS District podcast. So join other busy content creators just like you and me and start saving time and money while you grow your podcast show. Visit contentfy.co to learn more today. What were the three you mentioned? Uh, Hunter, Drop... Uh, drop Contacts or like Lucia. I think there are a few Chrome extensions that you can use. Uh, sure, yeah. Just for, just to add in our show notes if people want to want to check them out. Yeah. Okay. Um, so go on LinkedIn, find the list, uh, you know, you know, more up-to-date, higher quality, you know, more more targeted. And then if you're going out to start build that campaign, um, let, let's talk about a few questions people ask. You know, how, how often should I be sending this? Is it, you know, a seven email campaign? Is it, you know, over five days, over 30 days? Uh, is there best time and days to be sending this? Does it matter? Um, and maybe some, maybe some, maybe some give some yeah. tips or strategy for subject lines. So the, the truth is like a lot of people, it, it's quite funny because uh, a lot of people think that time is really important. And I think like every company that's doing like uh, outreach is basically trying to, uh, to say that, yeah, there is a perfect timing and we know it, et cetera, et cetera. The truth is. That's not true. <laughs> um, of course, some people will open their emails at specific time, etc. But if you receive an email, for example, from your mom, is it because it's 9 p.m. that you're not going to open it? 
Mm -hmm. Fuck no, you know, you're gone. Mm -hmm. As long as it's in your inbox, you know, if the email is important, you will open it. Sure. And that's, and the, the most important part is that sentence. As long as the email is in your inbox. And so to me, it's like deliverability is the most important factor. And to get a really good deliverability, you need to spread out the sending of your emails and mm -hmm. sending emails at blast, like newsletter does. It will never give you like a good open rate. So for a newsletter, for example, it's normal to get like, uh, yeah, 20-ish percent of open rate whenever you're messaging like 50 or 100,000 of people. Yeah. But for a cold email, your open rate should be above 60%. If it's below that, it probably means that you have like deliverability issue. And, uh, to do that, you can solve it with, uh, like checking, you know, on MX toolbox, whether or not you've been blacklisted using tools like Lemworm, uh, like warm up that we have, you know, like to, to kind of boost your deliverability, make sure that the technical setup has been done properly, et cetera, et cetera. But to answer your question, when it comes to the cadence itself, I feel like, um, what's our ideal cadence is a multi-channel one where step one is add the person, uh, on LinkedIn, wait for a few weeks, then send the first cold email, wait for two days before you send the first follow up. Then you wait a week to send the LinkedIn message. Then you wait for another like week to send another email. And then after that, you end up with a LinkedIn message. And for all the person who didn't reply, you would add a call at the end. And the call is basically a task for either the founder or the sales rep or the person doing this to just call all the person who didn't, uh, who didn't like, um, basically like reply. And what we try to do for our team to give you like a general, like a idea of what results you could achieve. Um, reaching out to about a hundred people, trying to book between 15 to 25 meetings per week and, uh, and doing this, but really like it's, 100 people per week. It's not a lot, but by doing this personalization, if you just scroll down to all the sales prospecting you receive, just look at how many are non-personalized and you would see that's usually 99%. And once you have one person standing out, this is usually where at least you're going to reply. And, and that's the idea behind it. So 100 emails and you're getting 15 to 25 calls. That's very impressive. I think we, we yeah. have to like seven or eight, but obviously we're not as personalized. So when you're <laughs> connecting with people, um, you're not, you're not sending them on LinkedIn. You're actually going back to email now and saying, Hey, like we connected on LinkedIn. They kind of have a face to who it is. And now you're yeah. sending them and then you send a few emails back to LinkedIn. And then now a call is that you're kind of, you, that's how you like to do exactly. That. And then like, um, another like way to increase this level of, uh, of replies is, the more you write content on LinkedIn, the more you're going to get engagement and build your audience. And the bigger your audience gets, the more um, people who are going to like your content will be second degree connections. So what mm. you can do is take all your posts, scrape all the person that are second degree connections, and then you put them in your sequence. So you know for sure that they interacted with your content. So you add them so that you're sure that they know about you. So they're happy whenever you're adding them. And then mm. after a couple of weeks, you send them these messages and, uh, and the reply rate is again much mm. higher because they saw your content. They would be happy to chat, especially if you do it in an interview or consultative way. It usually works, uh, like a charm. Nice. And then you're also, you're always publishing here on your own personal profile here, right? Not your, yeah, yeah, your company page. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like company page is, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can use it to put memes or something like that. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um, any other good strategy for subject lines? I guess that's the one. So you said 60%, you want to get for open rate. 
Um, so that I yeah, think that would be above, a big, the big thing. Above sixty percent. Above sixty percent. So the big factor there would be your subject line and maybe who the person is from. Yeah. The so deliverability. deliverability is number one. Then it's subject line and intro line. So subject mm-hmm. line is uh, what works really well. Can be a very specific subject line. So for example, it can be like uh, about a specific event that you've seen people attending, or that's actually a, a, something that you can do to do sales prospecting that works well. You go on LinkedIn events. You type the keywords that, uh, that, for example, it can be sales, marketing or whatever. Then you see the person where attendees, you scrape the entire thing. And then you reach out to them saying like, uh, in the, in the subject line, it can be something based on the conference they attended. So for example, mm. loved when Mark talked about XYZ in, and you see, so it's like a super long subject line, but at least it's specific. So mm. people would be like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, uh, and then it's like, Hey, just so you went to that event, uh, funny enough, not sure what you thought about XYZ. I've connected with a few people already to discuss specific topic. Uh, I checked your profile and found intro line. I'd love for us to have like a 15 or 20 minute chat if you're up for it and see like, uh, what learnings you got and also what are the things you're implementing at your company. And wow. by doing this, you know, it's like super personalized. It's also relevant because you have like this event and you have this common ground. Which is the event itself, and that's uh, that's also a great way to to work uh, on this thing. So, for um, subject line, to go back to your questions, is there something very specific? Is there something short? Like uh, it can be partnership, company name, and your company because it's intriguing. So the the idea is to kind of like triggers curiosity, even though this subject line has been overused, like partnership and then the thing. Every time I see the name of me of my company with a partnership, I'm like. I'm still going to open it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm, I want to know. know, you know, you don't want to miss on uh, something <laughs> huge, you know? Sure. And, uh, and the other thing is, um, whenever you do like short subject line is to do something you would do with a friend. So it can be like coffee question mark or like uh, lunch question mark or this type of things. Mm-hmm. Just something very casual usually works, uh, works also really well. So open rate is one thing. Obviously, um, what's the other things we should pay attention to? I'm guessing reply rate, right? Positive reply rate. And what's a, a yeah. good number we want to try to aim for if we're doing it right? Reply rates, you should be above 10% of reply mm. rates. That's, uh, that should be like what you aim for. And then if you're like, uh, world class, world class can be like, uh, yeah, everything above 30% is, uh, is world class. Cool. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I want to switch gears. Let's, let's, uh, I mean, this has been super helpful. I think, uh, I think people listening probably got a lot of value and things they can start applying today. But, um, let's talk about a little bit your background, personal side and, you know, what are things have, 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 how you got to where you are today? Um, so you built, you know, Lempod, Lemlist, you exited Lempod. What was the decision there? And, uh, you also decided to refuse a $30 million funding offer. Is that correct? And what was the reason? Yeah. There? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, Lempod was a, was a tool actually to use on LinkedIn to kind of like boost uh, your profile. And the truth is at the time, we were like a, a very small team working both on Lemlist and Lempod. And since our tech team uh, was kind of like struggling to manage both projects, we said, okay, let's do an exit. It's a, a good thing to do. It's going to be like a good cash because we grew it. We grew Lempod to about $600,000 in annual recurring revenue in about mm-hmm. like uh, 12 months. So I was like, okay, the growth is huge, but Lemlist is growing faster. So let's focus on Lemlist. Let's do some, uh, take some cash uh, out of this, see how an exit process works. And then after that, you know, we will see. And, uh, so first was 
really good experience. And at the same time, it was great to focus on, on Lemlist. But as we scale and now that we really well structured the team, we're back to uh, this uh, mm -hmm. Lempire where we can have like different projects. So we have Lemlist, we have Lemverse. We have um, a few other projects that are coming uh, pretty soon, <laughs> so so it's uh, it's quite uh, quite exciting, yeah. And then the, the decision there on refusing that that thirty million dollar funding offer. Yeah, so basically, like um, to me, I was like uh, the the true story is like uh, I was having a chat with uh, Nathan Latka, mm -hmm. and down the line he was like, "Oh man, like you're bootstrapped, uh, highly profitable." You just existed a company like there is zero reason why you would uh, fundraise. And then I laughed and I say like the only reason would be like uh, for me to just uh, have an article in TechCrunch. And then we <laughs> both laughed. And yeah. then he told me, well, you know, like you can ask a VC to give you a term sheet and then you refuse it and you send it to, to, to TechCrunch saying that you refuse the offer. And, uh, <laughs> and then it, I laughed and then I was like, well, actually it's not a bad idea. And because I had started my YouTube channel, I decided, okay, I love bootstrapping, but I feel like we never talk about the bootstrap stories, which to me are like the, usually the most interesting one. Um, and I was like, okay, we need to show to people that you can succeed. You can be in hyper growth without having to raise millions. And to do so, I decided to announce publicly that we're fundraising just to educate people about fundraising because I think that a lot of people don't understand how VC works, how investors work, what they're looking for, etc. So it was really interesting to teach people how this entire like sphere work and market works. And at the same time, I was like, if we receive an offer, which I didn't really know we would, but we would turn it down. And we would turn it down to show to people that actually you can be bootstrapped and super successful, making a lot of money and be like rich and be like, uh, and do all these things by just starting with very little. Because something that I really hate is when founders come to see me and say, Hey, gee, like I've been talking with investors for about six months. I really need that money to get started. And you know, it's been waiting and waiting and waiting when a lot of investors don't want to say no because it's hard to say no. So they're just mm -hmm. going to make you wait. And then the most important thing you have as a founder is your time. So when I see people that are wasting their time, you know, discussing with investors when they should actually focus, finding their market fit, talking to their customers, charging them, making money out of it. Mm -hmm. For me, it's, it's crazy. So the idea was just to inspire more entrepreneurs to get started saying like, you don't need that money, even though that's what people show in the press that, uh, you know, like if you want to succeed, you need the millions. I was like, okay, you don't need that. Here's an example. And it's us. And, uh, and for me, it was just like a really, really strong message that we sent. And, uh, and it was, it was huge. Like, uh, we received so many, like, uh, cool comments and everything. So that was, uh, that was quite, quite I, cool. I'd hate to be that VC who wrote that term sheet. His ego must be <laughs> still hurting right now. He's like, <laughs> no, to, to be honest, actually, like, uh, yeah, she was, she was like, uh, cause we recorded the pitch together. Like, uh, mm. I pitched like live and she was asking super relevant questions. That pitch was actually watched, I think, um, cause it's a, an American VC, but uh, she, she's French, but based mm -hmm. in the US. Uh, and to be honest, like the pitch was, I think it's been watched, uh, it lasts for about 50 minutes and there are like 20,000 views and the average watch time is like 35 minutes on the video, mm -hmm. which wow. is just huge. And, mm -hmm. uh, and for her, it was amazing, like a source of deal flow because right. everyone saw that she was really kind, asking the right questions and, uh, and then, and for me, I'm, I get on well, really like I get, I get on with her like really well. 
So it was, uh, it's still someone, you know, in my network and, uh, and she understood why we did it. And for her, it's like, you know, the, the American mindset, it's like you win some, you lose some and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, we move on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. Mm. So, so, okay. So you refused the $30 million offer. Um, so what, what exactly, what's your vision when you first started Lemlist and maybe how has it evolved over time to what it is today? What's, what is, do you have an exit plan? What is, you know, end goal here? If you have any. Yeah. So, so for me, it's really like, uh, try to help as many entrepreneurs to launch profitable business. So I want to try to inspire, you know, like all the people out there that bootstrapping can work, that it's a great way you know, whenever you're running something profitable because you are in a position of strengths uh, where, you know, yeah, like you have the leverage and then down the line, if you want to raise, fine, do it. But first, really build a strong business that gives you freedom. So that's kind of like uh, my vision. And this vision goes by, okay, how can I help people grow their business? So all the tools that we are building helps down the line to grow the business, build warmer relationships, and just understand that the essence of human being is the relationships, whether it's for sales, whether it's in life or whatever. And I want people to understand that. And I want us, you know, to, to keep growing towards, uh, towards that end. And for me, it's, there is no exit plan or anything. It's more just about keep growing, you know, like, uh, keep doing things differently. And also most importantly, keep having fun in what we do. And, uh, and that's, mm. uh, that's quite nice. So I guess you'll keep going until you stop having fun and you stop growing and you just don't enjoy it anymore. And you're like, okay, I'm going to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, Guillaume, G or Guillaume here. We're going to go rapid fire here. A couple of questions here. Get you on your toes. Let's go. Ready? Ready? <laughs> all, right, all right, let's do it. All right. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and you would tell, say 25-year-old self, but I don't know how old you are. You might be pretty young, so... <laughs> I'm 30. <laughs> 30? Okay, so, okay. 25 yeah. is good. Let's we'll say 23, 25. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 20 through 25, I would say like start a side hustle as quickly as possible. Start with service. So start, uh, you know, like selling something online, your skills or even something you don't know and that you would like uh, train yourself. But just make that first money online just so you understand that you can be free and uh, that you don't have to be an employee if you don't want to and that this... Uh, there is another path for you to be free and to make your own money because I felt for me that when I had this kind of like switch mindset, it opened up so many doors. All right. What are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing to continue to grow Lemless? Meaning, what keeps you up at night these days? Uh, I sleep like a baby personally. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but overall, I would say that the, the main challenges is uh, just finding like the, the best talents and the most passionate people to join the team. It's always a challenge, but it's a really exciting one. Yeah, I agree. Um, who or what are the best three resources that can be, you know, books, people, mentors, or people you follow in this space, who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over the last few years? Um, I really loved um, the, the book from Ren Fishkin called Lost and Founder. I mm. think it's nice because it goes through the ups and downs of the life of a founder. And you really realize that what you need to enjoy is uh, is a journey. So we all have these moments where we feel like the company is going to be like over, that everything is done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's only in the toughest time that you can really like uh, build the best stories, you know, and then like uh, rise as the phoenix. So for me, it's uh, mm -hmm. it's really about about this and entrepreneurship is this amazing roller coaster with. All these experiences and this book is all about it. Um, I also really enjoyed like, uh, um, an article from, uh, a, a former like a growth at Buffer 
who actually started like his company uh, back in the days called Pixelme, which is basically everything documented. Uh, so how to get like the first hundred customers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, the the articles are on the blog of Pixelme, uh, which which are like really great, and I think I love the way they document everything. It was a great source of uh, inspiration for me. And, um, and then again, like another source of inspiration, I think it's, uh, just for people loving marketing. It's, uh, just commercials from Apple, uh, along the years. So the okay. last one they created, you know, with, uh, with, uh, called a startup song, which is all the song from 45 years of Apple existing. And mm. it's, it, it's so well done. The song is so nice and everything they've done just is just on point. And I think like, uh, Apple is just like a marketing class as it is. And uh, it's for everyone a, a great thing to follow, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their brand stands out. The rest the rest of the world to to, to be emulate. Um, that's cool. Yeah, Rand Fishkin is great. We've had him on the podcast a couple months ago. And I haven't read his book, so I'll have to check that out. Lost in, in, and Founder. I've heard about it. So it's on, I'm going to add that to my list. Um, what does success mean to you today, G? Whether that's personally, business, financially, life, there's no, there's no right answer. Yeah, I feel like, uh, the financial aspect of it is already like taken care of on my end, mm-hmm. which is nice when you're 30 years old. Sure, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, what, what drives me is really about like, uh, how can I help like more people? And I know that I can't do this as a, on a one on one basis. So it's how do you scale that helping parts and how do you make sure that all the advice that you can give and all the things that you've learned can be known by more people? And for me, this is what success is all about, is uh, trying to help much more people live the same life that I have. Nice. Love it. Mm. Gee, this, is, this has been fun. I really enjoyed this, this podcast with you. Any final words you want to wanna add for our audience? Anything you want to say before we wrap it up? Well, if, yeah, if everyone wants to get in touch with me, I answer every single message on LinkedIn. So feel free to, to connect. And, uh, and yeah, it was really awesome being here. Loved, uh, loved our chat and mm-hmm. I hope it was helpful. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you. So we'll add your, your LinkedIn profile in our, our show notes. If you guys want to say hi to G, uh, please do so. Uh, and thanks again for joining today. Thank you. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.